Yes, willfully going to the unknown, exploring the frontier, and pushing the boundaries of our understanding is a bold step and requires courage. But what requires even greater courage is to boldly go back to the bland, ordinary existence of everyday life. No wonder so many people want to get lost in the adventure. Greetings and welcome to Checkpoint Gaming. With this series of episodes, we will be going over how to play the game Star Trek Ascendancy. With Star Trek Ascendancy, was created and published by Gale Force 9. With this episode, it will cover and consolidate the basics of gameplay. With Star Trek Ascendancy, it is a 4x tabletop game where players will take on a faction within the universe of Star Trek and explore the galaxy for the first time. It is worth noting that, although negotiation is available, Star Trek Ascendancy is a competitive game with each player pulling for their own goal and objective over that of the other players. So players are playing mostly against each other instead of the mechanics of the game. In addition to this, the ties of the game have the possibility of changing quite quickly. So don't be a salty bitch when someone invades your home world since that is part of the game. On the same note, don't be a pretentious fuck if you find yourself running ruckshot across the galaxy. With the rules we use to write this series, we have both official and unofficial sources. With the official material, we use the officially published rulebook that came with the game and its expansions. With the unofficial material, we use the unofficial complete rulebook for Star Trek Ascendancy Volume 3.0 and the appendices for the unofficial complete rulebook Star Trek Ascendancy Version 3.0. With the unofficial material, although in section as of the writing of this episode, it consolidated the official rules into a single document accompanied by presenting official clarification made by those found at Gale Force 9. It also helps clarify some things not addressed in the officially published material. Due to the size of the game, Star Trek Ascendancy had the potential of being a very long game to play. A quick rule of thumb is an hour of play per player with more experienced players requiring less time but more inexperienced players requiring more time. And if playing with the Borg, it can add an additional hour to the game. Like any game, it takes time to learn the rules and develop your own personal little trick to help expedite gameplay. When obtaining the game, it comes with a number of components which consists of the following. With the advancement cards, they provide a variety of cultural and technological achievements that the player can work on to complete and assist their gameplay with each faction possessing their own unique advancement deck. With the Zenancy tokens, they track how culturally dominant each faction is within the game. Unless otherwise stated, the first player to achieve 5 Ascendancy tokens will win the game. With the command consoles, each faction has one, and they include each civilization's special rules, track weapon and shield level, the use of plastic sliders, and a place to keep each player's token supply which should be openly stored. With the command tokens, they include how many orders a player can issue on their turn. With the exploration cards, they are used when players are exploring the galaxy. As they explore, they will encounter a wide variety of discoveries, crises, and strange new civilizations. Whenever players discover a planetary system, an exploration card is to be drawn to see what was found. The exploration cards deck is to include the base cards that come with the main game along with any cards that come with any of the expansions that the player might own. With the fleet cards, they are double-sided and hold a minimum of 3 ships with these ships being placed strictly upon the fleet card. Regarding this 3 ship minimum, it is typically highlighted but some fleet cards are missing this highlight. In these cases, treat these misprints as still implementing the 3 ship rule minimum. Regarding each side of the fleet card, one is unique with its own special rule, while the other side represents a battle fleet with no special rule. Each side also allows for a different maximum fleet size. After selecting the side, use the fleet marker to indicate the fleet's position upon the board. With the player turn cards, they represent the actions that the player can engage in. With the player turn cards, they, they represent the actions that the player can engage in. These are two-sided, representing the build phase, which shows all the build costs, and the command phase, which shows the command options. With the resource node and resource tokens, they are red, blue, and yellow in color, and each represents a different resource. With these resource nodes and resource tokens, red represents production, blue represents research, and yellow represents culture. 
with the nodes, they are placed on the game board and they represent the means by which a player can obtain respective tokens during the game which are themselves spent during the build phase. With the space lanes, they are used to connect the system disk with the link determined through the use of the space lane die. The length of any given space lane can be 2 sectors, 3 sectors, or 4 sectors long. With the space lane die, it is a 6 sided die which consists of 2 twos, 2 threes, and 2 fours. The space lane die can also be substituted with a standard 6 sided die when necessary. If doing so, a roll result of 1 or 2 will generate a 2 length space lane, a result of 3 or 4 will generate a 3 length space lane, and a roll result of 5 or 6 will generate a 4 length space lane. With system disks, they are large round tokens and they connect to other systems via space lanes. With the system disk types, they consist of planets, phenomena, and a transwarp hub. Each system disk also possesses a maximum number of space lanes that are allowed to be connected to them which is found in the lower portion of the disk. With some exceptions, all system disks found in the base game and all of its expansions are in play. But if a player doesn't have any given faction with their copy of the game, they'll be fine without those given system disks. Generally speaking, having at least 10 system disks per faction, including the faction's home system, should be enough to play. It is when a large play area is used that it could become a problem. So if the system disk stack runs out of system disks, then no more systems are allowed to be placed and they cannot be explored any further. In regards to these exceptions, they consist of the home system of any faction not in play, the Transwarp Hub, and Transwarp Conduits if the Borg isn't being used, and the Wormhole system if the remaining war isn't being played. Each planetary system disk possesses the planet's name and has a different capacity to hold a resource node as shown by the color tab found on the planet. With each faction's home system, it is classified as a planetary system. With each phenomenon disk, it possesses a phenomenon name and has a space for at least one resource token, although some can have even more than that. Some phenomena also come with their own unique rules that are found printed upon the disk itself. With the star-based tokens, they allow the player to build ship and commission fleets outside of the home system. They also fight in space battles and make it harder for rivals to attempt hegemony. Each star base a player controls will also increase their command tokens by one. With starship, each civilization has their own to explore the galaxy, attack rivals, and defend their systems. With control nodes, they are placed on the system's planet to indicate which civilization controls which system. With trade agreement cards, each faction has three of them that can be given to the other players to represent peaceful commerce between civilizations. The exception to this has to do with the Borg who are unable to gain any trade agreements. Each trade agreement that is exchanged will increase the resources that a player will get each turn. Although this difficulty consists of production, research and culture can comprise these trade agreements as well. When given to other players, they are to remain face up. With the turn order card, they range from 1 through 10 and will determine the turn sequence players will be going in. Unless otherwise stated, players are able to compete for initiative. With 9 playable factions and possible more along the way, additional turn order cards will most likely need to be printed starting with 11. Until then, and when playing with a particularly large number of players, the initial 10 turn order cards should be fine. A standard deck of poker cards can also be used as a substitute for the turn order cards if needed or decided. With warp tokens, they indicate which ships have entered warp as well as how far a ship can travel while it is in warp. With staying up the game, it is pretty straightforward. Each player will start the game with their home system, three starship, and some resources. At the beginning of the game, none of the warp-capable civilizations have made first contact and the galaxy is yet to be explored. At the beginning of the game, each player will obtain a command console of the civilization that they will be playing for the game. With the weapon and shield levels, they begin the game at their base values where the weapon's head roll is at a 5+, plus and the shield modifier is at 0. Located at the bottom of the command console, the player's resource tokens reserves. Each command console also lists special rules that apply to that given civilization, one positive, one negative. In the base game, each player is given their associated components consisting of 30 ships, 3 fleet markers, 3 fleet cards, 3 star base tokens, 15 investment cards, 10 command nodes, and their player turn card. 
However, an accessory exists as known as the escalation pack that will grant each civilization an additional 15 ships and 5 nodes. An escalation pack exists for each faction, so if they're going to be used, they should be obtained for each faction. And we recommend that this accessory be obtained. But if a player doesn't have an escalation pack for each faction that they possess, and the player chooses a faction that is without an escalation pack, the factions that do possess it will have to remove the extra pieces in order to maintain balance between the players. With the base game, it comes with a set of 10 generic dice that are meant to be used by every player to perform combat, hegemony, and various other tasks during the game. However, each faction possesses their own faction-specific dice that can be bought and used to perform these tests. With each of these faction-specific dice, they are color-coded to align with their given faction accompanied by their faction symbol replacing the number stake on each of the dice. In the starting resources, each player will start with 3 production tokens, 3 research tokens, and 3 culture tokens. Each player will also start off with 1 ascendancy token except for the Vulcan player who starts off with 3 ascendancy tokens. The ascendancy tokens are to be placed so that all players can see how many each player currently possesses. With the command tokens, each player starts the game with 5 of them except for the Cardassians who start off with 6 and they should be placed face up where all players can see them. Each command token is double sided with the exhausted side indicating has been used that turn. With these command tokens, each star base a player controls will increase that count by 1. Completing certain advancements with a command token printed will also increase this count by 1 as well. Whenever a player gains a command token, the starts play exhausted and will be refreshed at the end of the game round. With the advancement deck, each civilization begins the game with one completed advancement which is marked as the starting advancement advancement on the card which is to be placed apart on the advancement deck when the deck is shuffled. Over the course of the game, players can complete additional advancements which are known as projects before they are completed. For the number of ongoing projects any player can have it is equal to the number of research nodes the completer controls. When completed, the advancement will add its special rules to their civilization and can increase their speed of the player's ships while in warp, add an additional command or other such benefits. With each faction's home system, it starts off fully developed with the faction's control node on it covered by one of each research node. Each player will also start with three ships on their home system. For the Vulcan player, they will shuffle their Vulcan agenda cards before drawing two of them. From there, the Vulcan player will pick one to place face up on the table for all the other players to see. The other one will remain hidden from the rest of the players. To win the game, the Vulcan player will have to achieve either agenda but no need to achieve both of them. From there, separate the interstellar phenomena system disks from the planetary system disks. Then set aside a stack of random planetary system disks as equal to twice the number of starting players. This randomly determined stack will represent the starting planetary systems. From there, shuffle the remaining planetary systems with all the phenomena system disks. After shuffling all of these disks together, place the starting planetary systems atop of this file. There are also some special rules in the game that will allow the player to reroll dice. But the player may only reroll any given dice once for a special rule. If your player has definite abilities that allow them to reroll dice, they can be combined to allow them to reroll a dice more than once, but each rule can only be used once. In regards to the game area, an organic ruin map is used that can be played on any shape play area. Before the game begins, agree upon which part of the play area will be usable. In a standard game that has up to 5 players, a circular or square play map can be used to the following dimensions. For a circular play map, it is roughly 100cm across, while a square map will be roughly 90cm across. If those mats or play areas are unavailable, then the play area can be adapted as needed. The size and shape of the play area can affect how one lays out the player resources. With that said, make sure the advancement area and project area are distinct from one another regardless of the shape of the play area. Each player will then place their home system onto the game area, separate from other factions, and about 5 inches from the play area edge if possible, and roughly 30 to 46 centimeters away from each other depending upon how many people are playing. The home system should be evenly spaced around the play area. As they play, the players will discover strange new worlds, explore interstellar phenomena, and uncover unknown civilizations. 
with the game board itself is made up of round system discs that can be connected to other systems through the use of space lanes of differing lengths. When moving through the map, each system disc count is one sector with each space lane contained between two to four sectors. If the home systems are close together, first contact between players will be faster but will create competition for new systems. If placed further away, there will be more time to discover new worlds and develop before connecting with other players. As players will move throughout the galaxy, they will chart new space lanes and systems, building the galactic map that will be unique to each game as you do this. Every new map will present different challenges and opportunities. With every system disc found in the game, it has a maximum number of space lanes that are able to be connected to it, which is listed on the bottom of the system disc. Once this limit of space lanes has been reached with the system disc, whether or not they are connected to another system, players may not make any new connections to this system. If the system the player is leaving has an unused space lane connection, they can choose a place and then travel in this new space lane as they're moving. When placing a new space lane onto the map, the player can do so at either impulse or exiting out of warp. To determine the length of the new space lane, the player will need to roll the space lane die. When placing the new space lane, the player will have to have it connected to the system they're leaving and move their ship into the new space lane. With the placement of the new space lane, it may be anywhere on the outside edge of the system as long as there is room for it on the play area. If the new space lane won't fit within the plane area, or because there's no room between the other systems and the space lanes, it cannot be placed and must be abandoned with the player's movement coming to an end. For a space lane to be considered abandoned, it must contain no ship and is only connected to one system. In this case, the space lane is to be removed. When ships and fleets are found in warp, they do not count as being on the board. If all the ships or fleets in an open-ended space lane are at warp, remove the space lane and point the ship's warp token to the connected system. When moving at impulse or exiting warp, the player may move the unconnected edge of the space lane and place a new system disc. To place a new system onto the play area, draw a new system disc, place it face up, and have it be connected to the space lane that contains the player's ship or fleet. From there, move the player's ship or fleet into the new system, which will always end the player's movement. With newly placed systems, may not touch or overlap any existing space lanes or system discs. If the new system disc is hazardous, it will be identified as such with the alert symbol found at the top of the disc and the player will have to immediately brave the hazard. And when a system possesses different hazard levels from different sources, excluding the exploration card, the source that generates the greater hazard level is to be used, ignoring the other hazard levels. In order to survive the hazard, a die needs to be rolled. If the result is equal to or greater than the hazard level, the ship will get destroyed. Otherwise, the ship will survive. If the new system at the end of the space lane won't fit within the plane area or because there is no room between the other systems and space lanes, it cannot be placed. The system does not exist and the player's ship must leave the space lane, which will then be abandoned. When a ship or fleet exits warp, it can travel through a number of different systems. As part of this movement, the ship has the capability of placing new space lanes and systems as part of this movement process. With system discs, they typically are not fixed in place on the board when they are first placed. It is only when a system disc becomes connected to at least two other systems that it will become fixed. But once a system disc is fixed, it cannot be moved. But once a system disc is only connected to one other system, then it is considered floating. On the player's turn, they may swing the floating system they wish as long as it remains connected to the initial system. The reason why a player would want to swing a floating system is to make room for a new system or to make connection between systems. When swinging a floating system, it may not be picked up off the board. It can only be swung around the single system in which it is connected. Once the system becomes connected to two other systems, it is fixed in place and can no longer be moved. When leaving the system and a player tries to make a connection to another system, either fixed or floating, will be done with the new space lane. Upon leaving the system, roll the space lane die to see how long the space lane is going to be. Generally speaking, players will have to connect to a floating system. But with that said, there are some situations where two fixed systems will be exactly the right distance apart to fix the space lane. If it fits, then it will bridge the space found between the two systems. The player can then connect the two systems with a new space lane and continue their movement. 
If the new space thing isn't long enough to make a connection that a player wants and the ship is moving at warp, then they can either stop the new space lane or continue on to discover a new system at the end of the new space lane. If the ship is attempting to make a connection at impulse and isn't able to, it can reverse course and use the second sector of movement to go back to the system where it started, abandoning the lane as it does. Through cataclysm or conflict, it is possible for a whole system to be destroyed or removed. If this occurs, then move any ships on the destroyed system into an adjacent sector unless the effect that destroyed the system is otherwise. It is also possible for two systems that are attached to one another to become disconnected from the rest of the galaxy that has already been laid out. If this occurs, then both systems are considered to be neither fixed nor floating and are prohibited from being swung until one of them becomes fixed. If there are then any empty space lanes connected to the destroyed system, then remove them as well. In addition to everything that has just been addressed, there are a few more rules that need to be kept in mind as players are building the galaxy. First, space lanes cannot cross one another. Second, system disks cannot touch each other. Third, home systems are always considered to be fixed in place regardless of the situation. Fourth, players are allowed to use space lanes to test if the connection is possible before committing to movement. Fifth, a system is only considered floating if it is connected to a fixed system. With most systems, they are planetary systems that contain potentially habitable worlds. With planetary systems, they show the most prominent planet or other astronomical features along with the type of node that can be built in that system. If the system discovered is a hazardous planetary system, then all ships must brave the hazard. If any ship survive entry into the new hazardous planetary system or discovered system is not hazardous, then draw an exploration card and resolve its effects. If none of the ships survive entry into a new hazardous planetary system, then place an exploration card face down on the system until a player has successfully braved the hazard and explores the system. The first player to successfully brave the hazard with surviving ship will resolve the card. When a player discovers the phenomenon, an exploration card is not to be drawn. With the exploration cards, there are five types available to them. Crisis, Discovery, Virgin Worlds, Allies, and Civilizations. Unless otherwise stated, the exploration cards are to be resolved immediately and then discarded face up into the discard pile. The exception to this has to do with the ally cards, which are placed at the bottom of the deck and the width of accountability, which gets shuffled back into the deck without including the cards from the discard pile. With the options that the cards give the players, they must be used now or never. With the expression cards that are marked as remain in play, they remain face up on the system until they are resolved or then discarded. With some expression cards, there are recurring events and are returned to the exploration deck rather than being discarded after they are resolved. These cards are either 1. Placed at the bottom of the exploration deck or 2. Shuffled back into the exploration deck. With those that are placed on the bottom of the exploration deck, the deck is not reshuffled. Instead, this place it on the bottom of the exploration deck. If shuffled back into the exploration deck, the discard pile is not included in the reshuffling. The player will only shuffle the recurring exploration card back into the exploration deck. With some exploration cards, they are marked as requiring a diplomacy check and is represented by a diplomacy number. With this diplomacy number, it is found in the upper right hand corner of the card. When facing such an encounter, the player will have to attempt a diplomacy test with a specified outcome to see if they pass or fail. In order to make a diplomacy test, the player will need to make a die roll plus the player's ascendancy. If the total is higher than the card's diplomacy number, then the test is passed. Well, if the number is equal to or less than the diplomacy number, then it fails. With crisis cards, they present some sort of problem or difficulty that the player will face. Some crisis cards require the ship to brave a hazard, while other crisis cards require a diplomacy check when drawn. With the discovery cards, they hold the promise of never before seen wonders, technological revelations, and contact with new species. There are also a number of exploration cards that are marked as virgin worlds. These planets are perfectly suitable for habitation but devoid of sentient life that needs to be accommodated for or conquered. When drawn an ally card or receive one from another player, the player discovered a faction or person who may be open to establishing an agreement. In order to claim an ally, a diplomacy test is needed. If the player passes the test, then they will set the ally card in front of them. 
with ally cards, they either take treaty agreements or have a special rule associated with them. If the deployment test is failed, then place the ally card on the bottom of the exploration deck as a recurring event. When the ally is placed at the bottom of the deck, do not reshuffle the exploration deck. With some systems, it will be discovered that they are already inhabited. With these independent civilizations, they range from primitive pre-warp societies to that of advanced fully warp-capable civilizations. If a player draws a Civilization Exploration card, the card will direct the player to either place production tokens onto the system, marking it as a pre-warp civilization, or warp tokens, marking it as a warp-capable civilization. With pre-warp civilizations, they have not yet achieved faster than light-based travel. Because of this, these worlds have yet to discover any technology or infrastructure that's usable by more advanced cultures. With pre-warp civilizations, they will direct the player to place a number of research tokens on the system, representing the system's raw materials in a population ripe for exploitation. With the first player to colonize the system, they will take the resource tokens from the system. With each warp-capable civilization card, it will indicate how many warp tokens are to be placed onto the system. This is equal to the level of the civilization. Each warp-capable civilization card will also direct the player to develop a number of nodes in said system. When developing the resource nodes of a warp-capable civilization, develop any production capability first, followed by resource capability, and rounding it up with any cultural capability. This node placement is done up to the number of nodes the card indicates the player to develop. With warp-capable civilizations, they have discovered sufficient technology and have built up their planet's infrastructure to the point where colonization is no longer an option. When a player takes control of a system that possesses a warp-capable civilization, the warp tokens that have been placed upon it are to be removed. Whenever there are developed structures on a planet, hegemony or invasion are the player's only options for taking control of the planet. With all of this said, let's clarify some encounters. With the Crystalline Entity Exploration Card, it will destroy all ships found in the system unless the player has upgraded either their weapons, shields, or both. With the Dark Reflection Exploration Card, it allows the player opposite the player who drew it to control the drawer's ships. If playing with an odd number of players, then randomly determine which of the two players opposite of the drawer will do this. With the Traveler Exploration Card, it requires that the player place a new system and move ships from that system that the player just explored to the system that was just placed. With the Ferengi Arms Dealer and Ferengi Researcher Exploration Cards, they allow the player to upgrade weapons and shields using production instead of research. If the player chooses to use this capability, they will just use either production or research, not a mixture of both. But it is worth noting that not all systems contain habitable plants. This is seen with a wide variety of interstellar phenomena that deserve further study. However, phenomena are hazardous to study and explore. Instead of drawing an exploration card when discovering a phenomenon, place a number of research tokens upon the phenomenon on the discovery equal to the number of research icons on that given phenomenon disk unless the disk states otherwise. With these research tokens, they come from the supply. As with discovering any hazardous system, all ships in the system will have to brave the hazard. If at least one ship survives, then said player will take all the resource tokens found upon the given phenomenon. With these resource icons, they typically consist of one, but some can possess more than that. Upon obtaining these resource tokens, the player may place no more than one token onto any one of their given projects. The player can also just place them into the reserve. But if all their ships are destroyed while braving the hazard, then all the resource tokens will remain on the phenomenon. If one of the player's ships starts their turn on the phenomenon that has resource tokens on it, they may attempt to take the resource tokens by spending a command to brave the hazard without moving. From there, said player will select the number of ships that they wish to use to brave the hazard. If any of these ships survive, their player will claim the resource tokens. With the Romulan Science Fleet, it will only roll for one of its ships when it braves the hazard. However, that ship will still have to survive braving the hazard to take the research tokens. But if it fails, the science fleet can keep attempting to brave the hazard with further ship, one at a time, without exhausting any further commands. 
With the temporal anomaly phenomenon, it allows a player to refresh commands when braving the hazard, but each ship or fleet can only gain this benefit once per turn. With the Romulan mining fleet, it can exhaust a command to take two production from a phenomenon. It does not have to brave the hazard. To do this, although, it still has to brave the hazard when it ends its movement on the phenomenon. During the recharge stage, research tokens will be placed on each phenomenon that doesn't already have any equal to the research icon found on that given phenomenon disk. The first player to successfully brave the phenomenon hazard each round will take the research tokens. With the turns that follow, they are in reference to important game concepts. With adjacent sectors, they are any sector that is right next to another sector. A sector is also adjacent to itself. With adjacent systems, they are two systems that are considered to be adjacent if they are connected by a single space lane. With attached is when a space lanes and systems are physically connected to one another. With capability, it is the potential of a system to hold research nodes. Systems typically hold between one and three nodes, although there is the possibility that they can hold more as well. With combat, it refers to space battle and planetary invasions. With a combat round, it is when a space battle or invasion is fought where hits are scored and casualties are taken before each player can decide between surrender or retreat. With connected space lanes, a system is connected to a space lane if the space lane enters or exits that system. With connected systems, a system is connected to another system if there is a chain of systems and their connected space lanes link one to another. With contest is when a sector has ships belonging to at least two players in it. So a sector containing ships from multiple factions is contested. With control is when a player's control node is found within the system, indicating that they control it. A player may gain control of a system through colonization, invasion, or hegemony. With controlling the starbase, it occurs when a player controls the system the starbase is in. With the developed system, it is a planetary system that is developed when it contains one or more nodes. When a system doesn't have any nodes, it is considered undeveloped, even if it possesses a starbase. With exhausted, it is when a card or token is face down. Exhausted cards and tokens cannot be used until they are flipped face up, which is known as being refreshed. When exhausted, the card or token cannot be used. With a faction, it is one of the civilizations that is controlled by the player, excluding the Borg, of course. With first contact, it is when a civilization has their home system connected to another player's home system via space lanes and systems. With first strike, it allows the player to start the combat round before the opponent can strike back, causing them to take casualties before rolling to hit for their own ships. With a fleet, it is a group of ships that move and fight together. Any rule that applies to ships will also apply to fleets. With the fleet limit, it is how many fleets a faction is allowed to build. The fleet limit is based upon the faction's ascendancy and it maxes out at 3. With fleet size, it represents the maximum number of ships a fleet is allowed to hold. The number of ships a fleet can hold is based upon what fleet card is being used and what side of said card has been selected. With game round, Star Trek Ascendancy is played in a series of game rounds with each round consisting of 3 stages, Initiative, Execution, and Recharge. With Home System or Home World, it is the system in which a player begins the game. Players may build ship and commission fleets in their own home system whether or not there is a starbase there. But this isn't true for a rival home system if the player takes control of it. With Hostile, it is when a rival and their ships won't hold a trade agreement that belongs to another player. With Issue Command, it is done on the player's turn to perform a number of different actions. With Node, it is a structure built on a planet's surface. This includes things such as Research Nodes, Control Nodes, and Borg Assimilation Nodes. Starbases and Borg cubes found atop of a spire are not classified as nodes. With Occupy, it is when a player is the only one that has at least one ship found within a given sector. With Orbit, it is when any ship is present upon a planetary system whether or not the system contains other player ships in it. With Peace, Peaceful, a player is at peace with any rival whose trade agreement they hold. This also extends to their ships. With the Project, it is an advancement card that is not yet completed. 
During each player's build phase, they may add a resource token to each of their projects. Each civilization has a unique deck of advancement cards containing a variety of technological and cultural achievements available for them to complete. With refresh, it occurs when a player will flip an exhausted face-down game piece face-up. With re-roll, some rules allow players to roll a die again, but players may not use a single rule to re-roll the same die multiple times. If a player has multiple rules that allow them to re-roll dice, then they can use different rules to re-roll the same dice multiple times, but only once per rule. With reserve, they are the resources a player has on their command console but have yet to spend. With resources, they consist of production, research, and culture, and are spent to build in-game items. Ships, nodes, and incendiary tokens do not count as resources. With rival, it consists of all factions other than the faction that the player controls. This includes the Borg. With sector, it is any spot on the board in which a ship can be placed. A system discounts as a single sector while space lanes are divided into two, three, or four separate sectors. With sight, it is a circular marker found on the planetary system where resource nodes are to be built. They typically possess a color to indicate what node can be built there, though some are open and are printed in gray. With special rules, they provide either a benefit or a limitation that is only applicable for the owner's faction or under certain circumstances. They also typically overrule other game rules if they are in conflict. With structure, any physical item built on a system is considered to be a structure. Research nodes, control nodes, assimilation nodes, cubes found on top of spires, and star bases all count as structures. With supply, it's a shared resource nodes and tokens that are not built or earned by the players. The supply is considered to be unlimited, although there is the possibility of them running out. If a given resource does run out, then use any convenient substitute. With target, it is Borg specific and is when a sector that possesses a Borg world, rival ship or fleet, a developed system, a starbase, or home system in that order that is indicated upon the Borg movement command card. They can also indicate a sector that possesses a player ship or another Borg cube after target reassignment. With an undeveloped system, it is a system that doesn't have any nodes constructed on it. With warp range, it is the warp distance a ship is able to cover while moving if it was issued a command in order to exit warp. A warp range is equal to the number of warp tokens connected with the ship or fleet and or warp icons printed upon the owner's advancements. So with that said, that is what you need to know about the basic of Star Trek Ascendancy. With that taken care of, we can start talking about game mechanics. If you liked this episode, feel free to give it a like, and if you want to stay up to date on any future episodes we upload, go ahead and subscribe. You can also support us on Patreon for as little as $1 a month at patreon.com slash checkpointgaming. See you in the next episode, and happy gaming.